You are listening to EDLD 8062 Module 5. This week, we are talking about critical race theory. Yes, critical race theory. Critical race theory, or CRT, is always important, but let's consider the moment. When I recorded this, September 24th, 2020, critical race theory was seen as the bad guy, as evil, as something unpatriotic, as... Thank you very much. Critical race theory is being forced into our children's schools. It's being imposed into workplace trainings, and it's being deployed to rip apart friends, neighbors, and families. For many years now, the radicals have mistaken Americans' silence for weakness, but they're wrong. There is no more powerful force than a parent's love for their children, and patriotic moms and dads are going to demand that their children are no longer fed hateful lies about this country. The left is attempting to destroy that beautiful vision and divide Americans by race in the service of political power. By viewing every issue through the lens of race, they want to impose a new segregation, and we must not allow that to happen. Today, I'm also pleased to announce that I will soon sign an executive order establishing a national commission to promote patriotic education. It will be called the 1776 Commission. Yes, you heard correctly. President Donald Trump spoke out against critical race theory. Obviously, he's wrong here. But it's important to understand because a lot of folks, a lot of other scholars, people you work with, don't really know what critical race theory is. So what is critical race theory, or CRT? CRT came about as a response to critical legal studies, a legal framework created to challenge the law's role in reifying class hierarchies. Although intended as a social justice framework for addressing and challenging oppression, critical legal studies was limited. A group of scholars argue that critical legal studies unduly focused on class, diminishing the role of racism. Given critical legal scholars' inability to come to terms with the particularity of race, the critical race theory movement began. It started in the 1980s as legal scholars began to identify and develop common principles and guideposts to better engage with the role of racism in structural oppression. As, the critical race, as a critical race theorist, Zeus Leonardo argues, one assumes that race is always at play, never irrelevant. Now, let's hear from Dr. Demarcus Jenkins. So today we have Dr. Jenkins. Dr. Jenkins, would you mind uh, introducing yourself? Uh, good afternoon, and thank you for the invitation, uh, Dr. Tichavakunda. Um, like you said, my name is uh, Demarcus Jenkins. I am an assistant professor at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I am uh, in the Department of Education, Leadership, and Policy, um, and this is my uh, third year there now. Awesome. 
Thank you, Dr. Jenkins. Would you mind uh, sharing your pronouns with us? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, he, him, his are my pronouns. Thank you. Great, thank you. So um, I guess uh, just to get started, um, how does, can you describe like your research? Tell me a little bit about the research that you're uh, engaging in at University of Arizona. Sure thing. So um, broadly defined, my research is interested in the experiences of black students in K-12 schools. Um, I also look at the work that leaders and school leaders do um, to engage with communities and surrounding networks. Uh, um, so I'm currently in, engaged in three separate projects right now that I can can kind of give some, some some details on. So one of those projects, I am looking at the relationship between schools and communities, um, particularly how school leaders um, who are who have been traditionally marginalized in terms of race, class, gender, sexual orientation, how those school leaders, um, what are the tactics or approaches they they employ to connect with surrounding local communities and neighborhoods, mm -hmm. and how do, do those relationships benefit um, students? Uh, so that's, that's one strand of my research. Another strand of my research, I'm really looking at um, sort of how black students are constructing their own identity and, and mm -hmm. the, the racial messages that orbit school environments. Really interested in how um, black students are uh, internalizing and understanding and making meaning of those messages, and and what do those messages do for how they construct their own identities, um, be that racial identities and academic identities. Um, yeah. And the third strand, the third strand of my work uh, looks at um, the relationship between. Well, it's really about bringing sort of the conversation in black geographies, the subfield of black geographies, in into conversation with um, literature and education. So thinking yeah. about um, how space and spatial understandings can help us to better understand and better examine um, the, um, some of the educational issues that have been pervasive for a long time. I think that uh, the subfield of Black geographies has a lot to offer to that. So I'm really interested in, in thinking about how to bring those two conversations uh, closer together um, to mm -hmm. exam educational oppression and inequality. Awesome. Th th thank you so much for that, Dr. Jenkins. So, I mean, you, you gave us a lot to chew on um, in, in outlining your research agenda, but, you know, obviously I'm seeing uh, different through lines, right? Like you, you, you care about education, um, student leaders, uh, space and identity. You know, obviously I'm simplifying all this, right? But uh, <laughs> identity is at the core of it, right? Um, Absolutely. So, so how does your specific identity kind of shape your work? Yeah, you know, I, so prior to becoming a professor, I spent a lot of time as a high school teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was through that work as um, a high school teacher in um, inner city schools um, that really sort of kind of piqued my interest in what would it mean to um, explore some of the issues or challenges that my student faced every day and how those yeah. issues and challenges uh, um limited in so many ways their ability to reach sort of the academic um, and, and, and personal skills and objectives that they that they had set for themselves. So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of where my research interest starts from. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I am from, you know, the South Side of Chicago. So a lot of, you know, my own upbringing was in inner city, um, low income schools. So I think yeah. I was initially shaped by my own experience and then having the chance to see it from the other side as a as a high school teacher really sort of sparked my interest. I knew from the way that, you know, even despite the different context in which I grew up and, and, and the context in which I work, some of the still some of the challenges still existed. 
Um, yeah. And I was really interested to explore what was the, explore the genesis of those challenges, sort of some of the ideologies that were embedded in those challenges, and what were the areas of possibility for eradicating some of those challenges. Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of where my research agenda started. Um, and I've just kind of been navigating that as my central aim for, you know, my entire research agenda and my academic career is really trying to think about what are the how, what are the ways that we can begin to address and eradicate the challenges that historically marginalized uh, students face in, in K-12 schools. Awesome, man. I, and I just have to say, man, the, the way you speak is just, come on, the areas of possibility to, areas of possibility to eradicate these changes and and, I, and talking about your research agenda, you said orbit. Like, come on, man. I, I can't. I can't write as good as you talk. So, I mean, sheesh. Um, <laughs> but uh, you did. You did mention um, for that last kind of armed research, and, and when you were outlining your agenda, you mentioned something about black geographies, uh, a framework we won't get into in this class. Definitely worth uh, you know uh, digging into if if you're listening to this and you're interested. But black geographies being one frame frame or you know orientation of studying um, educational inequality, right? Um, in today's class, uh, well, this modules class rather, we're talking about critical race theory. Um, and as someone uh, you who uh, uses critical race theory or has used it, um, h- how would you describe critical race theory? Yeah, so I think if I link that back to my previous comment in terms of some of the challenges that were pervasive across school context, mm-hmm. um, critical race theory, for me, provided the language and the the perspective to understand what are some of those pervasive ideologies. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that is valuable for critical race theory is that it centers the permanence of race and racism that is intertwined in the very fabric of our of our society, like yeah. we are understanding how permanent race is and how that in every sort of social interaction, embedded structure, um, policy orientation, and every single thing that we do, race is central to it, even when it's not explicitly stated. Mm. So I think for me, CRT starts to let me know and remind me that race is central to what we do. I yeah. mean, not just race, right? CRT also reminds us about how race intersects with other identity categories, right? So it's not just race, right? But understanding how race collides with gender and yeah. geography and 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 and, and socioeconomic status and and social and sexual orientation and all of these other identity categories and markers, how race intersects with those to um, to sort of help us to understand how differently bodied individuals experience these different phenomenons differently, mm. right? And I think it, a CRT helps us to really get into that. Um, and then the other part I think that is really key and central to CRT is understanding, well, I guess two other pieces I'm thinking about it, is really understanding interest convergence. And that's yeah. um, a tenet of CRT that I think is not talked about enough or is not really given the sort of credit it deserves, right? When yeah. we think about entrance convergence, it gives us a different, it, it, it allows us the language to be suspicious of racial progress in this country, right? Yeah. So we have to understand that as um, progress, as we're making these sort of incremental um, changes or, or what we understand to be progress, that there is some sort of um, interest or another agenda that's being served or yeah. that right, that progress is in service to something else that um, in so many ways reverses the progress that we think that we're making, right? Mm-hmm. So I think 
as, as we're thinking about these sort of situations that are happening, you know, in our everyday society, I think the question we have to ask is um, who, uh, how might this sort of progress also benefit white supremacy? And CRT allows us the language to do that. Um, so mm. I think for me, that's when I think about CRT, I think about it just providing an overarching frame for me to not only question and interrogate the things that I see and I accept in so many ways, yeah. but also reminding sort of the centrality of racism um, in in every sector of American life. Definitely. Awesome. That, that, thank you for that, uh, that thorough description. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I, th- th- there's a lot to chew on there. I mean, one thing, and I'm, I'm kind of picking at you and asking this, would, would you describe yourself as a critical race theorist? I don't even know what that term means. Uh, quite honestly, Dr. Um, I, you know, I am someone who is trained in critical race theory. Um, yeah. I, you know, I did mention earlier, I got my, my PhD from UCLA, which is mm-hmm. sort of the, the, the anchor, the home of a lot of critical race theory thought. So we have totally. a lot of scholars who kind of did that work in my, in my college, uh, so I was trained very heavily in the traditions of critical mm-hmm. race theory. Um, and I am someone who employs a critical race theory framework to a lot of um, the research that I do and my worldviews and understanding how the world works. Yeah. Um, so I think that's sort of where my orientations around critical race theory come from. Gotcha. And I mean, yeah, partly as that, you know, in jest, <laughs> but also just, you know, for those listening, just to, a way for us to think about theory, right? I, I think for me, I take quotes, and I think uh, Dr. Jenkins is similar in that we we, um, we we find theories useful to think with, you know. Um, yeah. And we may be trained in a theory, but a theory does not necessarily define us as scholars. Let me know if I'm overstepping by something. No, that, that's that's absolutely correct. Yeah. So um, yeah, thank you for yeah just sharing how you you think about that and CRT. Um, I, I guess just given current events, you know. Um, and, you know, the, we have this executive order coming out from the president uh, talking um, explicitly and implicitly about CRT, you know, and you said something pretty um, useful, I think, and obviously something I agree with that um, racism is embedded into the fabric that uh, makes up America, right? Um, that makes up society, rather. Um, yeah, absolutely. Is it is it un-American to say that? You know, like, I, I mean, I, I'm thinking... I mean, and, and I ask, I mean, I'm asking obviously not to, to challenge that, right? But we have this executive order coming out that's saying that, that's saying that holding an idea like that is un American, unpatriotic, or um, just incorrect, right? How would you respond to that? Yeah. You know, I think the, I, I think there is this false idea that to be American or to be patriotic is to ignore the ugliness and the ugly history of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is to sort of, I think, you know, there is this idea that exists uh, amongst whites and yeah. um, those who call themselves liberals and even, you know, conservatives as well, that if we want to be American, if we want to hold that identity as American, then our task then is to um, sort of sweep under the rug sort of the the challenges or the problems or the issues or the um, the, the the violence, if you will, that this country yeah. has um, 
that really underscores the development of this country that we're supposed to just ignore those things yeah. and for me that makes us that makes us anti-american right i think mm. that the things that we love the things that we cherish we can hold them close and dear to, to us and we can, it is our responsibility to also be super critical of, of those things um yeah. and i think that when we think about the history of this country we are founded on slave we are founded on settler colonialism anti-black yeah. racism and the explicit colonization and, 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 right, and, and taking of land. Like that is sort yeah. of the history, uh, the very foundation of this country. And if we are not ready to not only address and acknowledge that, but then also to understand the ways that that history still shapes our current society, then I mm -hmm. think that is the definition of un-American. I think our task, mm -hmm. again, is to really address and say, yeah, we got it wrong. We got yeah. it wrong here, but we have the chance, the opportunity to sort of address those wrongs and right those ills. And what yeah. does it look like for us to use critical race theory as a way to say, here's how our errors of the past are still shaping our sort of everydayness that we're living in right now. How yeah. can critical race theory help us to understand that, but then also provide us a way to think differently about um, sort of the, the structures in our society that we have normalized. Yeah, I, I love that, man. And I love how you said, you know, um, it, it's un-American actually to ignore the past, right? It, it, yeah. that, that's, that's beautiful and powerful in a lot of ways. And I think both, yeah, if you, if you really want America to be better, right? Um, how you can't sweep under the rug all these ills, all these issues, all these uh, things that are um all, like all the things that america was created upon right um, yeah. we have to address yeah. that so i'm um yeah i'm really appreciate you gave us that uh that verb is in language for that um so switching gears a little bit um the students uh hopefully before uh, they listen to this podcast they would have read um our article the second id um so i guess generally you know how did how did critical race theory come to fore um, in your opinion, in the second ID, like why, why do we need critical race? So why do we use critical race theory uh, for that article? Yeah, that was such a great article. And I really enjoyed writing yeah. that with you and our other co-author, uh, Dr. Justin Coles at Fordham University. Um, and, you know, I think um, critical race theory it really served in a lot of ways to help, um, I think, not only our articulation, but our conceptualization of what does it mean to be um, a differently bodied student, a black student in our case, black male students in our case, um, traversing these white spaces at our colleges and universities, yeah. right? And I think it was critical race theory that lend the language to help us to first conceptualize colleges as white spaces, right? And we understand yeah. that um, not only just the, the, the colleges as white spaces, Primarily, I mean, I'm sorry, well, on a number of different ways, I think it's important for us to understand that. On the one hand, we have to understand that when we talk about it as a white space, we're talking about the the somatic norm of those spaces, the bodies that have conceptually been connected to those, to those spaces. The colleges and universities have not yeah. been black and brown bodies. So if we mm -hmm. understand that these bodies are imagined, these places are imagined to serve a particular body, right, and it's that imaginary that shapes sort of the practices and the and the, the the policies and the practices of surveillance of those white spaces. Mm -hmm. um, critical race theory gives us the language to understand how universities have been um, sanctuaries of whiteness, 
right? Yeah. Um, and then I think as we think about that, what does it mean for us, our black bodies, to exist in those spaces? Um, and I think, and 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 then I think the the other piece that critical race theory helps us to think really about is when black bodies are on the spaces, how does that trouble the spaces and trouble whiteness? And mm-hmm. critical race theory helps us to really sort of tease those things apart and create nuance for what for for all of those areas. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I and again, obviously, I love writing that with y'all too. Um, and, and just the the it, I think it aided us obviously in just reiterating what you said uh, theoretically, conceptually, giving us the tools. But even uh, critical critical race theory not only helps us in um, what we said, I think it also helps us in how we said it. Right. Absolutely. Um, um, I mm-hmm. think that just related to that, I think that our approach to using uh, counter stories or counter narratives to tell our own stories. It gets yeah. critical race theory method critical race methodology really centers the voices of those who have been historical margin, historically marginalized yeah. and reminds us that our stories, our lived experiences are um, legitimate forms of data and are legitimate totally. um, pieces of information that can be analyzed. So for, for yeah. the three of us for 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 you know the three of us, the three authors of that piece to, to share our stories part of what we were doing in those moments was pushing back and disrupting this dominant narrative that colleges and universities are welcoming and safe spaces for all students. Or that, you know, when you are a student of color and you make it to college, then you somehow arrived at this, um, um, at at this idea of of a promised land, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that critical race theory has helped us to, you know, telling our stories to really disrupt that narrative and say, even when, Black bodies are in these white spaces. Even we arrive at these these markers of what people call social mobility, for example, that mm-hmm. we are still met with um, we are still met with with forms of racism that still shape the ways that that we travel and navigate these exactly. colleges and universities. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love you. Yeah, it's about comp, like this thing about critical race methodology as well, right? And you talking about upsetting and disrupting like kind of like dominant conceptions of uh, higher ed, like j- just if, if, you know, like you uh, already mentioned, like if you look at our piece, right, if you look at how it's written, how we write it, the language we use, the structure that we use, um, critical race allows us to upset and disrupt using your language, you know, what we think scholarship is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how yeah. often, you know, do, do, do we read scholarship, you know, uh, in, like, specifically think about, you know, my students, like, well, what does a typical scholarly manuscript look like, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's another thing we're able to do with critical race theory. My students also read uh, the first couple chapters of Derek Bell's Faces at the Bottom of the Well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think critical race theory is useful in that, like, not only are we able to articulate something theoretically rigorous, you know, aligned, historically grounded, um, but also in a way that is, uh, that people can get, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And one of the things that I mean, I just, you know, also just want to reiterate, tell the students, you know, like the way that we begin that piece, you know, and the the way that we begin the piece, it's it's true to life, you know, like yeah, the absolutely. three of us were literally uh, <laughs> celebrating all of our dissertations, <laughs> defenses, basically, right? We're, about, we're all about to yeah. graduate. And uh, I remember it was like a lull in conversation and you told me about your experience, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and it really should have been like a moment of revelry, you know, um, it really became somber. Like, like that was just, 
Yeah, it was it was it was it's it's fascinating and sad that those experiences travel they they stay with us, you know. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even so many of those experiences are still shaping um the work that I do now as a professor, right? So like yeah. I am still even today years removed from that piece, I yeah. still remain a black man uh with physically present or existing in a in a white space. Yeah. Um my my degree may be different, my orientation to that space may be different, but at the end of the day I'm still a black body um interrupting a white space. And yeah. my body is read that way, regardless if I'm a graduate student, a professor or or what have you. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's just, you know, I think to he, to be reminded about how some of those interactions with campus police or with, you know, white authority figures in general on campus really kind of shape um, kind of our mindsets, right? When, we're at, when we are at these higher education institutions or kind of even, even outside of that, when we navigate society, we are constantly reminded, um, yeah. reinforce the idea that we don't belong. Yeah, um, exactly. Or that our bodies are met with a level of suspicion um, and we yeah. always see that um, yeah yeah that's it man and and i have to do this and i'm sure you know my students have read this already by now and i'm sure they've already underlined this sentence in particular but i also just have i just have to give uh dr jenkins dr jenkins his uh kudos for this sentence like just in particular because it's making me think about it like you, when you said that i was like yeah like it's haunting and then i thought specifically of this sentence and you said, I mean, obviously we wrote this together, but the, I remember this was you. <laughs> you said uh, the skeletons of these events continue to haunt us even in our faculty positions, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it does. And I think critical race theory helps, gives us that language um, to describe and name that haunting, you know? Um, yeah. And I think I one of the powers or beauties of critical race theory is that like, I mean, just, um, I mean, even when I was able to present this at the Association for Scholars Interest in Higher Ed, like that conference, mm -hmm. I mean, it turned into other black men being like, yo, I had a second ID experience. I had a second ID experience, you know, yeah. and just looking on Twitter, how more and more people are able to use this concept of second ID to articulate their unbelonging on campus, I, I think is so powerful, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate that so many um, black students in particular have these experiences yes. in these white spaces, at colleges and universities, right? They have a lot, some of them have been publicized, we've been able to actually capture videos, um, yeah. see those, you know, uh, swarming social media, and others have not received that sort of media attention. And, mm. and those, and they are no less valid, right? Or no less credible. Yeah. Um, and I think the unfortunate side is that these events happen, happen, and it really pushes or, you know, it invites us, if you will, to think about what is it that we can do to sort of reshape and reformat campus climate yeah. um, and how might critical race theory or using critical race theory as a lens help us to sort of position and anchor that work. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that, you know, whenever I speak about this piece or whenever I speak about um, any, any of the work that I do using CRT, I really think about its activist orientation. Yeah. What does, what is, how can this theory not just exist as a way that we see the world, but also mm. how can it invite us to, to action and how can it help us to shape um, sort of the actions we take to interrupt and, and dismantle these, these oppressive systems? Awesome. Yeah, I, I love that you said that and I love you brought it back to the activist roots, um, the social justice nature of it all, you know. I think about yeah. um, Derek Bell and his in chapter 
but to racial symbols limited legacy um bell is talking with simple and simple is talking about like uh you know just the role of racial symbols and he's like i don't want my symbols mm -hmm. on this shelf i want them in action you know yeah. i want the i want symbols with legs and i think critical race theory if we aren't careful could just be symbolic right it, it needs to be activist oriented it needs to have legs yeah. i'm glad you uh yeah i'm glad you brought that up um yeah what, what's what's one thing you think cr what's thing, one thing about crt that you feel like the media or common knowledge or just other scholars kind of get wrong um there's so much right yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think those the way crt is existing in sort of common parlance is is so inaccurate and decontextualized that it almost mm -hmm. seeks to, to to bastardize what we understand CRT to be. Yeah. Um, I think I think one of the things where they get it wrong, um, particularly is around um, the notion of whiteness as property, right? And mm -hmm. thinking about what does it mean to to to, to own um, whiteness or racial identity. Yeah. Um, I think another another thing another thing that they get wrong um, really is around just like the the you know uh, this the broader society and this orientation to this sort of color blindness right this idea yeah. about pushing color blindness and that's and that's a very nature that CRT seeks to disrupt right is that we can't exactly. be colorblind and that we have to really identify race and the ways in which race shapes um, folks' lived experiences and I yeah. think that the media is missing the mark. You know, and then and then again, going back to that, just the very foundation. That very foundation is that with the election of um, President Barack, Barack Obama, it has really led to this idea that we are post-race and that race no longer exists. Yeah. Um, and for, for critical race theory to argue that race still exists and it just exists mm -hmm. in these in these implicit different ways, these. Yeah. forms of microaggressions, if you will, and macroaggressions, right? Um, and to think that race, you know, when CRT is really arguing that race is has just morphed um, and shifted into these these, these other forms, mm -hmm. the, uh, the broader public isn't ready to really have that sort of conversation. Come on. Um, and I think those are the areas where they just really, I think for them, that part is threatening, right? We think about uh, Donald Trump's executive order. Um, I, I I think a lot of that comes from the threat or the fear of realizing that, um, or the, the threat or the fear of realizing that, that there are folks out here who are pushing the agenda or who, who really are able to demonstrate the ways in which race still shapes this country. Um, yeah. And that we have not moved beyond race at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. So those are just a few awesome. areas. But again, I think that, um, in, in common parlance around critical race theory, there's so many inadequacies or um, imprecisions or just 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 flat out lies around critical mm -hmm. race theory that we have to yeah. be able to identify and question and challenge um, when we see them in, in, in you know, in, in, in their different forms. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember when, uh, you know, our current president was talking about critical race theory and uh, he said something. I was like, well, you know, this is, is in a way, it's useful he's saying this because a lot of, you know, our colleagues, you know, um, think similarly about critical race theory, right? Um, I guess not yeah. just, uh, you know, our president. It's, 
you know, our colleagues, as other, you know, mm-hmm. affairs professionals, it's, it, a lot of people, and, and they're just flat out wrong, not taking the time to actually understand it, or it's just a willful, willful ignorance or bad faith, you know? Um, yeah. See, yeah. I appreciate it. And, and again, there's so many things one could say about that. Um, but I guess lastly, uh, and this is a huge question, uh, last question, uh, you know, so this class is about equity and diversity in higher education. We have uh, PhD students, master students, and folks who are just interested in the topic. What do you want them to think about as they learn more about this topic and kind of navigate the rest of the course? It is a, a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, one of you know one of the things that I, I tell my students in our class is that if we are honest about the foundation of this country, then one mm-hmm. of the hard and the hard honesties, uh, the hard truths that we have to contend with is that this country was founded on oppression, yeah. inequality, right? Yeah. And if it, because it was founded there, it has continued to, uh, inequality and oppression has continued to sort of undergird every sort of historical movement, every era, every period in this country. Yeah. Um, because we were born into a country that was founded on inequity and oppression, a lot of, in a lot of ways, we all have normalized ideas that feed into inequality and oppression. Mm-hmm. And because we've normalized them in our own ideologies and our own everydayness, we are often, unfortunately, perpetuators of those very same inequalities and oppression, Mm -hmm. sometimes in practice, sometimes in ideas, sometimes in worldviews, right? And I think if we start there to know that we have, that that our actions and our beliefs in some ways are shaped by the foundation of this country around inequality and oppression. If we understand that, then I think it's that understanding that positions us to be ready to think differently about what we already think. And I think that that is so key. We have to question our own norms, our own internalized ideas, but we can't do that until until we acknowledge that the very fabric of this country is based on an idea that we are, as master students, as graduate students, right, that we are positioned right now to sort of disrupt. And yeah. in order for us to disrupt that, we have to first acknowledge that we have, that we are complicit in that project. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I say the work of eradicating um, inequality and uh, offsetting oppression is to first question and ask ourselves, how are we complicit in it? Maybe it's in ways mm-hmm. that we see the world Maybe it's in conversations that we have. Maybe it's in the questions that we have. Because if we do that, then we can start being suspicious, not only of things outside of us, but things inside of us. Totally. And I think that's what makes for good scholars and makes for good scholarship. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I help my students to sort of unpack, is how to, it's, it's for them to, to first be introspective of the ways in which we are complicit in the project of oppression against different bodies. Yeah. And then once we can do that, then it allows us to begin to unlearn some of those things. And I think that is super critical when we're thinking about doing activist, progressive, critical race scholarship, 
scholarship that we see as social justice oriented or whatever sort of framing we use for that, I think the first unit of analysis is self, and it has to be. Awesome. And I mean, and you, and you mentioned, you know, like that's uh, that's what makes good scholars, good scholarship. It makes good people. <laughs> you yeah, know, absolutely. Uh, it makes they, good people. Yeah, it makes good people. Uh, like people with empathy. Um, and I think in line with what you're saying, you know, like this work is also uncomfortable when you realize you are complicit yeah. in uh, oppressive, like oppressive practices or, you know, systems, it can make you uncomfortable. Um, but yeah. you have to have the courage and honesty um, to look at yourself, you know, um, and using tools that hopefully you'll get in this class, critical race theory, you'll be able to better articulate what's happening, right? Um, either mm -hmm. internally, externally, what have you, and your role in all of that. Um, so, Dr. Jenkins, thank you so much uh, for chatting with me. Um, I'm going to include your uh, Twitter handle, if that's okay. Um, that's fine. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jenkins is very active on Twitter. I, I highly, 10 out of 10, highly recommend you follow him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us, Dr. Jenkins. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for the invite. Good luck to you and the rest and all of your students. Awesome. Okay. Take care. I spent the second summer of my doctoral program learning about critical race theory, or CRT, a theory birthed out of protest that insists scholars take account of the ways race and racism are endemic to society. I acquainted myself with Gloria Ladson Billings and William Tate's foundational Toward a Critical Race Theory of Education, as well as the work of Derrick Bell, Sean Harper, Kimberly Crenshaw, Lori Patton Davis, and many others. While much education research neglected to study the role of racism in education, critical race scholars took a bold stance, arguing that race and racism matter in education. I found an intellectual home in critical race theory. Am I a critical race theorist? <laughs> I'm just Antar, but I do think CRT is useful. To learn about CRT is to get closer to the truth of what America was, what America is, and what America could be.